We have ended our series in, from Hebrews, and one of the things that we learned from Hebrews is that we're supposed to be growing and maturing in Christ, and not backsliding, not kind of reverting to old ways, but always pressing on, having our eyes fixed upon Jesus, we're striving to become what he wants us to be. So now we are going to turn to uh, something that's related, but at the first might not seem so very related. Meditation. Meditation. Can meditation help you grow in Christ? It's a very interesting question. It's kind of a loaded one because without defining what meditation is, our minds will often wonder and think about uh, the something that in our in the United States, as I grew up, it was kind of a silly thing to pretend that you're meditating and you grab those fingers and it's the it, the the picture of Eastern meditation and you close your eyes and you start going oh and and let your mind be free and empty yourself. Eastern meditation. That's not. Well, let me just say this. We need to go and see what the Bible says about meditation. And then as we learn about meditation, you can consider for yourself, is this something that has implications for me in my relationship with God the Father, with my Lord Jesus Christ, and am I to use this in such a way that I can grow in Him? So first of all, I turn to... A dictionary, and this is from the New American Standard Bible Dictionaries. Uh, the idea for the 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 idea of meditation, as it's uh, referred to, and we're going to go through the, the biblical instances, comes from a word. H. It's a Hebrew word that would be transliterated H A G A H Haga, something like that. I didn't worry about how to pronounce it, but it's a primitive root. And then listen to this. To moan, to growl, to utter, to speak, muse. And it mentions all the ways that that word is translated in the New American Standard Bible version, which is what I'm using today for our lesson and as I use for most of our lessons and studies. So as you look at that, the very first description of the word for Hagah is to moan. The very base root, it means to moan, to growl, to utter. And so, boy, you look at that and it's like, you can put those fingers together and go, um, and it almost sounds like it fits. It's a little strange, isn't it? Meditation like that in the Bible? Well, let's investigate and see. Because the Bible, when you look at the words and its context, these words start to make sense and define themselves. And so we go to the very first use of the word Hagah in Joshua chapter 1, and it's in verse number 8. Joshua 1, 8. And the scripture reading this morning read verses 1 through 9, and it's a description of, of when 
Moses has died and now Joshua is getting prepared to lead his people into the the promised land. And they're going to have to conquer these people and they're going to be very afraid. They already failed to enter in because they were filled with fear. They couldn't take care of the, the giants and the big cities with their big walls. And now Joshua is telling them, be strong and courageous. You will go in, you will conquer the land, you will have success if. And that is where verse number nine, verse number eight, excuse me, comes in. Well, in verse number, verse number seven, it says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. So it is very important for these the, the Israelite nation as they're getting ready to go in and conquer the land if they want to succeed. They have to do this one thing. Obey God. Listen to God. Know his words and obey them and they will have success. And then verse 8 comes to this. We'll read the entirety of the verse, and then we're going to look at these phrases. And you'll see that the word meditate is in here. Verse number 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. If you pay attention to the law, and you do it, you obey it, then you will have success. It's an if-then statement. If you obey, you will have success. Okay, so first of all, let's look at verse number 8. At the very beginning, it says, this book of the law. This book of the law. I want you to consider for a moment this book of the law. Notice it is mentioned here that there is one book. As he spoke to them, Joshua, speaking to the the million people that he was leading, he says, this book, there is but one. And now this is interesting to me because if you're like me, when I first... uh, see that language and hear that language, I'm like, yeah, there's just one word of God. There's just one word. I've got a copy. you got a copy. you got a copy. Everybody here has got a copy. How many copies you got at home? we got all kinds of copies. Isn't it great? There's one book, and we all have copies of it. How many copies I got up here? i got two copies up here. Copies, copies, copies of the one book. But for them... There's another aspect of that that's true. And there is only one word of God. But the other aspect is, how many copies did they have written down, you think? You think, you think they all carried around that pocket Bible? You think they all lift out, oh yeah, I forgot my other copy, didn't I? They'd get out their phones and say, I've got, I've got access to 40 different versions right in here. Copies, 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 right? No. They had one book, one word of God, 
And Moses had written it down. Now, maybe somebody was already in the process of rewriting it at this time. I don't, you know, they had, they developed scribes that were going to transcribe and write it down. But I would venture to say, at this point in time, it may very well be true that they only had one copy written. I didn't investigate that, but I think it's very possible just to consider, isn't it? They didn't, you know, as they were trekking around out there in the, the wilderness for 40 years, did they want to have all kinds of books that they're carrying with them? What were they able to do, to have, to, you know, what did they focus on? It was survival. So how many copies did they have? They had the one original copy, I'm sure, that Moses wrote down. But did they have more copies than that? I'd venture to say they didn't have a lot of copies. Weren't a lot of books back then. So, when it comes to this instance, it's interesting to think about the fact that when Joshua says, this book of the law, so very important, there is just one word of God, and at that point in time, there was one main copy of it, perhaps other things written down here and there. And I, would, I think we'll uh, see some instances where they wrote down some of it for sure. They had some copies of verses, some things. But one main law. So if they couldn't pass books out to each other, if they didn't have a bunch of copies to have, how did they share this with one another? And it was by knowing it. And so let's move on then as we think about this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. What does that mean? This book of the law, there's just one physical copy, the main copy, and that book shall not depart from your mouth. All right, so there's some metaphorical language here, right? They couldn't all carry around a book in their mouth. There's only one copy of the book anyhow. But all of them, if they knew the word of God, that those words could be in their mouth. They could speak the word if they knew it, right? So this book of the law, the one word of God, we think about how many copies we have. But when Moses, or excuse me, when Joshua looked out, he was seeing a bunch of copies of the book amongst the people. Each one of those people were to have a copy of the book in their mouth. So how was the word in their mouth? You usually would think about it being in your mind, right? Well, let's continue on. Oh, and let me, uh, i got to go to the Deuteronomy passage at this point. Um, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And here is some instruction that was, that was from, that was, that they would have known very well. And in verse number 4 of Deuteronomy 6, a very, very important verse to the people of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Greatest commandment right there. So important. Jesus said this one is the greatest. Verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be 
on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. What are they supposed to do? Notice verse number 7. All those times that they're sitting and walking and lying down and rising up. What are they to be doing? You shall talk. You shall teach them diligently and shall talk of them all day long. Teach and talk when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up. Always speaking the word of God. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. So they did do some writing of the law, didn't they? And perhaps those very words in verse number 4, those are the words that they were to, to write down on their front, the frontals on their forehead and to, uh, to put on their doorpost. Verse 9, you shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. The Lord our God is one God. They did write down some copies of some verses, didn't they? But notice all of the word of God, the book of the law, when we get to Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8, and it says this book of the law shall not, be, shall not depart from your mouth, kind of Deuteronomy 6 gives some context to it that they're always to be speaking the word of God. And then as you get to Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall mutter it day and night. You shall meditate on it day and night. It's a speaking. It's not, a, not necessarily a moaning. Um, that's not it. But going through the day, every opportunity you have, speaking the word of God. You're always Israel, the Lord our God is one God. You're walking by somebody on the way and uh, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can see a guy walking along the path with his kid and he's speaking the word of God. And there, you know, it's somebody swinging at his hammer and he's speaking the word of God even while he, while he works. Somebody chiseling on a stone, somebody putting up a tent. And they're speaking the very words of God and and. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and even Genesis, you consider all those words that they had, there was one way for them to know those words and to be able to pass it on to their children, and that is by having it memorized and speaking it to them. And if you're going to memorize all these laws of this one book, all the instructions of God, you had to be teaching it constantly. So muttering the law was a very practical way to know God's teaching, to learn God's teaching from somebody else, and then for you to speak it and remember it and pass it on to others. So this book of the law, this one word, shall not depart from your mouth. And I'm not making an application to us yet. I'm going to let you work on that yourself a little bit. But as Joshua said to them, you better always have it in your mouth. Always have God's words there. Always have God's teaching on your lips. Always have it ready right on your tongue. 
Sounds like a good idea if you want to keep from sinning, doesn't it? Having God's word right on your mouth all the time, not speaking curses or anything against God, but speaking the very word of God. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Could we say, that's a, that's a, you know, you might have that thought, well, that means to really think on it. But for them, could it possibly mean this idea of muttering it, kind of having it on your lips? A lot of times we speak to ourselves. You ever talk to yourself and somebody says, what did you say? You know, you're, I'm just talking to myself, you know. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better to have those mutterings when you're speaking to yourself instead of it actually being you speaking to yourself if you had the word of God on your lips and God is speaking to you through your very own words? You always have that word in your mouth. Sounds like a good plan for the Israelites, I think. Sounds like a good plan for them to be able to know God's word and then to be able to pass it on to their children. And then for those children to pass it on to their children. So then the, the ability to prosper and have success is going to be passed from generation to generation. But you shall mutter it day and night. Joshua was telling them, and I, I would contend the Holy Spirit through Joshua, God is telling them, be muttering God's word all day all night, every chance you get, flashing back, and I'm sure their minds flash back to Deuteronomy. I'm supposed to be teaching this and talking about this when I sit in the house, when I walk by the way, and when I lie down, and when I rise up, I'm supposed to be speaking and muttering the words of God. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night. You shall mutter it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. Now I think for most of us this this way of thinking about meditation is a little bit different. It's a little bit different in the fact that it kind of borders on and rubs up against this idea of home. But yet it's so totally contrary to somebody emptying themselves and letting their mind be free of all thought. Which I'll actually say, sometimes it's good just to kind of let go for a second and not think about anything, isn't it? But we're not going to give our mind up to emptiness because, man... That's when the devils have a good time to work. I'd say any Eastern meditation, if you practice any yoga, you do anything along those lines, you better be very careful and wise to make sure you don't cross a line. But when we meditate, we should have the word of God in our mouth, and we should not let that word depart. Never let it get away from our mouth. Always have that word in our mouth so we can have success. You 
coworkers might start thinking you're crazy and you just say, oh, that's, that's, just ignore me, I'm just, uh, I'm just meditating. Sounded like you were saying something. Oh, I'm saying something. Might be a good teaching moment, won't it? I was definitely saying something. I'm meditating on the Word of God. I'm speaking the Word of God. It's what I want my mind to be filled with. All right, so let's look at some other uses. And in my list there, I have all other uses of that word Hagah. That root word, Hagah, to moan, to growl, to utter, to speak, uh, muse. It was never translated that, in, that way in the New American Standard, but I've seen it in other translations. But you can see how this word is translated back up to the top to the definition. Declare, devise, devising, growls. A lion is mentioned in these list of verses. A growling lion growling over its prey, meditating over its prey. It's not a lion isn't considering and his prey, but, but that's one of the, the later passages there. It's a, he's over his prey and he's growling, probably chewing and eating. All right? Um, meditate, make a sound, meditate, meditates, moan, moans, sad, oh, moan sadly, excuse me, mutter, mutters, ponders, utter, uttering, utters. You know, this idea, but it's kind of making this sound and it's kind of maybe a low sound, you know, and it's, it's, Speaking the word of God while you do that is kind of the biblical context of meditating on God or for God. So let's look at a couple of these other passages real quick. Go with me to the book of Job, and I want to get through um, some of the Psalms also. And we're just going to kind of pay attention to the clock here and do a few of these. But Job 27. Turn to Job 27, and it is, this is the very next reference. These are all in order, of course, listed here. Other uses, Job 27, verse 4. My lips certainly will not speak unjustly, nor will my tongue mutter deceit. I didn't see the word meditate in there, but it is, isn't it? Where is it? My lips certainly will not speak unjustly. You got this talk, language, words coming from a mouth. Nor will my tongue mutter. Meditate is how they could have translated it. I will not let my tongue meditate deceit. Well, it's not, obviously, it's not meditate. It's not kind of a thought process here where you're just musing something. But it's my tongue is not going to utter mutter, groan, any kind of deceit. And it is coming forth as a language um, because deceit is communicating something that is not true. So there's communication taking place. There are words taking place. My tongue will not say anything deceitful. It's a speaking, a saying, but it's a muttering. And in uh, the scriptures here, especially when you get to the Psalms, you get a lot of Muttering deceit, a lot of muttering untruths or muttering things bad towards somebody or even muttering against God. Not only will we be able to see that we can mutter the things against God, but we can also mutter the righteous things of God. So it's like, what are you speaking? What are you thinking about and then talking about? What is on your lips as you go through a day? When you rise up, when you go down to bed, when you're up, when you're walking along the way, and when you're sitting in the... What, what's going on? What are you talking about? What are you speaking about? What are you really thinking about? Now to the Psalms. 
Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Think about that connection to Deuteronomy. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he mutters day and night. The psalmist talks about fulfilling what was prescribed in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. In his law he meditates day and night, is what my translation says. But that law is being spoken day and night. Fulfilling the very scriptures that were spoken earlier. Psalm chapter 2, verse number 1. Why are the nations in an uproar? And the people's devising a vain thing. This one's a little weird, isn't it? Didn't have any muttering or groaning. But if you read it like this, why are the nations in an uproar? And the people's groaning vain things. (laughs) The people of Israel, oh man, I wish they were gone, you know. The God of Israel, he thinks he's something, you know. That's groaning, isn't it? That's... A type of meditation coming from the mouth and it's meditating on evil instead of what was prescribed in the earlier verse in chapter 1 verse 2. In his law he groans and mutters the word good things day and night. Chapter 35 verse 28. Psalm 35 28. And my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long. My tongue shall meditate your righteousness. That doesn't really make sense. But if we use kind of this base word as mutter, I think if you use the word mutter in all of these, it kind of all fits. They all make sense. They all have a different context and a slightly different meaning. But my tongue shall mutter your righteousness. God, you're so good. You do, you, you do that when you're going on the, in the day? Do you count your blessings? Do you tell God how wonderful he is and how thankful you are to him? As we, as we gather around the table, are you muttering the praise and the righteousness of God who has done such great things for us? That's chapter 35, 28. Now go to 37, 30. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. That makes sense if we're meditating on the law and we're speaking, not letting that word depart from our mouths to speak it all the time. Righteousness should be coming forth from our mouths. 38.12 And those who seek my life lay snares for me. And those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction. And they devise treachery all day long. And they mutter treachery. And again, instead of turning it to God, they're talking about David. I'm going to get that David, you know, that guy. I want his job. He's going to be, he thinks he's great king. I'm going to be king next. And they're muttering treachery all the day long. How they're going to kill David. We're going to catch him. And when we do, we're really going to, oh. Groaning and moaning, muttering. Meditation doesn't work there, does it? 
But muttering treachery all day long, that fits. Very contrary to what true biblical meditation should be towards God. Psalm 63, verse 6. I want to get through two more if I can. Psalm 63. Verse number 6. When I remember you on my bed. What do you think this psalmist, the psalm of David, what do you think David's going to do on his bed at night? When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. I mutter on you. Again, declaring, I'm sure, the goodness and the glory of God, speaking the very words of God. Psalm 71, 24. Psalm 71, verse number 24. My tongue also also will utter your righteousness all day long. For they are ashamed... For they seek, for they are humility who seek my hurt. And one more, seventy-seven, twelve. Psalm seventy-seven, verse number twelve. I will mutter on all your work and muse on all your deeds. And so here, the, I didn't look up the word for muse there, but it's a different Greek, or excuse me, a different Hebrew word. But it does correlate, it connects with the word meditate. So it is very, we can see that the idea of meditating and muttering God's word means that we're thinking about them, musing on them. They're not just words we say, they connect with us, with our heart, and with our mind. Meditating on God's work. Thinking about his work, speaking his work, his goodness. I'd encourage you to go through all of these and see how the word Hagah is used differently in each of these circumstances and see if there's something else for you to learn. Let me go now to the end. And as we then, we've looked through the Old Testament, your, your next question should be, all right, Eric, that's fine. But what does the New Testament instruct us? What are we taught in the New Testament pertaining to meditation? Is there something in the New Testament that says mutter, where to mutter his words? I don't have a specific instance of muttering, but I do have a couple of verses to challenge you with. First of all, Jeremiah 31, verse 33. And it doesn't mention uh, specifically the idea of meditation, but it tells us something about the New Covenant, And we are the new covenant people. We are those who are in the covenant of Christ, saved by his blood. And we're going to remember that covenant that we have with him in his blood here in just a moment. But the New Testament has no specific instruction on meditation. But Jeremiah 31, 33 says that God's word should be written on the heart of those of us who are under this new covenant. So look at chapter 31, verse 33. And up above in verse 31, it mentions the new covenant. And then verse 33 says, But this is the covenant which I will make with those, excuse me, which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. Of course, that's what he always wanted to do with Israel, but something was lacking. 
Something under that old covenant was lacking because now he says, I am going to put my law within them. And on their heart, I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more of this Israel up and down, obeying, falling away, carried off and brought back and saved. You know, it's a no more ups and downs. Come on. He is going to put his law within them. He's going to write his law on their hearts. And I just quit, you know, it, how much of God's word is written in my heart? How much as I go along the way can I mutter and speak the words of God? Because it's written here. It is right here. And it's going to come out of here. I, at one point in time, I memorized, uh, and I'm, you, you all have probably heard me say this before. I'm not good at dedicating myself to memorization of scriptures. But at one point in time, I could, I could quote um, James chapter 1. And I knew it really well. I could just do it like that. And you know what? I can't do it well anymore. Except for the first couple of verses, you know? So what does that say about me? Well, I hope you're saying, well, Eric, it doesn't mean you're going to hell. But it says something about the word of God written in my heart. And it's, it, it has something to say about the, the ability for me to actually speak it, isn't it? Well, I know what's in there, and I can turn there, and I can point to the words, and I can read it for you. Hey, fortunately, we've got it now, don't we? We've got it all right here. And that's a wonderful blessing we've got this word. But then it also can be a curse, because if we're constantly relying upon our ability to go and turn to it, then what happens if somebody takes it away from us in this physical form? Where is it? It's going to happen to the next generation. Can I transfer this to my children if I don't have the physical book? I'd like to be able to say that I can transfer a bunch of this to somebody, to another generation, if somebody comes along and burns all these. You might say, well, with the digital age, they can't burn them, and they were never successful at burning them anyhow, right? Because people have tried over and over and over. But we have got to know the book. We can't let the physical copy be a crutch for making sure that we have it written in our hearts and on our minds. Okay, I've got to move. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 13. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 says... For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you gladly you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So this word of God isn't just something for us to read. It's something for us to have internally to change us and to make us grow, to perform a particular work in us, changing us, but also then a word that goes forth from us, making us, dictating our very actions and all that we do and affecting how we speak 
from day to day and from moment to moment. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's speaking the very words of God. Our our songs, they have a purpose. Um, I really like, especially in the context of this verse, I love it when our songs actually have words that from script, are from straight from Scripture, not just merely, you know, kind of a song that's based upon a Scripture and telling some story, but teaching us, helping us to know and understand the very Word of God to help us be able to speak that Word on our lips constantly. So I would just ask you today, you're welcome to uh, make the application to yourself in any way and I would encourage you to consider do you know the word of God is it truly written on your heart is it truly up in your mind so that you can speak it and the challenge from the old covenant is having it on your lips all the day long no matter what you're doing and to be able then to teach that word to others That's the challenge for you to consider. And if there's anybody here today, the challenge for you is to understand that that God sent his own son to die for you. And if you wish to have eternal life, if you want to have eternal, eternal hope and prosperity and success in your life and to have God with you so that you can be strong and courageous walking around in the midst of a, a hostile world and having peace within because you know you're right with God that is the offer of salvation today to you in Jesus Christ this word is powerful the word is wonderful the word is truth and you're invited to receive it and let it dwell in you richly so if there's anybody who hasn't given their life to Christ today's the day to have faith in Jesus confess him as your savior and be buried with him in baptism ready to rise up to live a new life. If you need to respond to that invitation, today's the day. I hope you'll follow it and act upon it. And if there's anybody in the congregation who is stirred by the thoughts of meditation, you now understand biblical meditation, what it means, then you are encouraged to, if you need prayers, let us know and we'll pray for you. But you're encouraged to consider those other passages and think about, your life, and the Word of God dwelling within you. If you need to respond, you're going to be welcome to get a hold of me anytime or contact anybody in the church for help. And now we turn our minds to meditate upon the Word of God in relationship to Christ our Savior.